Welcome to the Eat Right Nutrition Podcast, where we partner with experts in the health, wellness, and nutrition field to deliver you an excellent variety of content based on real science, real facts, and real food. I'm your host, Daron. And I'm Nicole. And today we're talking fat loss mistakes, mini cuts, and reverse diets. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Eat Right Nutrition Podcast, episode number 84. Today, we're going to start you off with some of the biggest fat loss mistakes that we oftentimes see people make. And Nicole, I think the first one is the biggest, if I must say, and you can tell me whether or not you agree with that. But the first one I have here is underestimating caloric intake. Oh, absolutely. And everybody this, thinks they're eating less than or, or everybody thinks they're eating more less than they actually eat. Yeah. And, right. Yeah. And the uh, flip side to that is everybody typically thinks that they eat more protein than they mm-hmm. actually do. And yeah. what we find and this is where I get into Nicole, you and I have had this conversation before about surveys on protein intake and the estimations and how people say, well, Americans eat too much protein. And I'm like, off of what standard? And when you look at the research on that, it's surveys that ask people how much protein they're taking in and they're overestimating protein anyway. So, because what happens is when you, if you just ask somebody how much protein they're getting in, Mm -hmm. they're just going to spew out some random number based off of nothing because most people don't know. They do not know. Let me finish. So like most people, what they, they, they don't, they don't weigh and measure. They have no perception of portion size. They typically don't look yeah. at labels. So where are they getting this information from? They're getting it from thin air. So when we work with, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. So when, they're saying, no, they're getting it from what their perception is of what they think. But they don't have, they a, perce- on their they have a distorted perception, right? Yeah. We yeah. call that portion distortion. Distortion. Yeah. And when we work with people, we'll be, I'll be like, how many pro? Okay. You got to have a hundred grams of protein a day. And they'll be like, Oh, well, I already do that. That's easy. All right, cool. Go execute that. And then they log in their food journal for a week and we find out they're eating like 30, 50, like way below. So they're overestimating. And this, the same overestimation is they, what they also do is they underestimate their caloric intake. And the way that they underestimate their caloric intake is a, what I just talked about with the same thing they do with protein is they just have no perception. Right. And for example, what happens with this is I use the example of cereal. People will be like, yeah, I had a serving of cereal and log that in their food journal or not log it anywhere. Right. I think logging is, is part of the issue is that if you're not tracking to begin with, Mm -hmm. then you don't know how many calories you can't possibly know how many calories you're taking in. And with something like cereal, you typically pour a bowl of cereal. You don't measure it. And if you actually measured it, you'd realize that one serving is about three fourths of a cup for most cereals. Now, if you pour a bowl, you're probably looking at multiplying that serving by three or maybe four. So now you're looking at close to 150 to 200 grams of carbs in a meal. And for some people who 
you know, especially like women who are on the smaller side, that could be your day's worth of carbohydrates. Yeah. In your first meal. Yeah. It's because I've done this with clients before. I say, okay, measure out your the one serving of what it's supposed to look like and put it in the bowl and take a picture of it and then pour like you normally would pour without measuring and send the picture of that to me. And then I will use that for them. Like when we talk about things like moving forward, I'll say, remember when you measured out it's um, granola is a big one, I think. That's also like if I have someone that's like, oh, I put granola in my yogurt or or in a cottage cheese or something. And they're like, I just take a handful. I'm like, how how much is that actually like? What is the actual measuring? Oh, I don't know. It's just a handful. I'm like, okay, but if you don't know what that actually measures out to be, then you don't know how much you have. And I would even say too, sometimes I don't even have them journal anything and log from a calorie standpoint. Sometimes I just have them follow the, the, the serving size or the calorie amount on the serving size and just do that throughout the day without having to actually you mean on the worry label? about, I mean, on the label. Yeah. Instead of worrying about journaling it at the same time, like we tackle one thing at a time that in itself works because they start, like you said, if the cereal is the actual amount that they should be eating versus the 200 grams of carbs right out the gate, they can start to lose weight without even having to journal things in an actual um, like a MyFitnessPal or something, which I do a lot because it can be a lot of work to do both. The other thing I will say too is when we talk about underestimating calories and protein, the consistency of hitting those metrics is probably even more important to me than the one-time measuring. So to your point, if you have someone that is measuring um, cereal that's 200 grams versus 45 grams of carbs. And you do that one day. Okay. But if you're doing that seven days a week times four weeks in a month, think about the calories that you're accumulating throughout a 30 day period of time, not just a daily or a weekly. Now you look at a monthly and then three months and then six months. And that adds up to surpass what you're really thinking that you're eating. And then before you know it, you're 40 years old and you're fatter than you've ever been. And I don't, I'm not saying that to be like mean or facetious or whatever. You just find yourself in a place that you never thought you'd be. You wake up and you're 40 and you're like, how did I get here? And to your point, Nicole, you got there through the cumulative effect of Mm-hmm. over consuming calories for all of those years. Right. And then you're like, you end up being like, all right, well, when I was in high school, I was in such great shape and I was yeah. an athlete. Right. Yeah. You know, oftentimes we get like, oh, well, I was an athlete. And I'm like, well, you still ate like an athlete from the point that point until now. Mm-hmm. And you you reduced your expenditure. And I think this is the next thing that we're going to talk about. And I, I think one of the important things to note is the most important piece, and this is why, uh, you know, underestimating your caloric intake to me is the most important because many people do it, right? That's first and foremost, many people do it. And it's the most important part of the equation. When we're looking at fat loss and not making mistakes in terms of fat loss, one of the biggest mistakes that you can make is consuming more calories than you're expending. That is the whole biggest part of the equation. I don't care what anybody says about hormones, metabolic adaptation, whatever you can throw at it, the most important part to any fat loss strategy is going to be how many calories are you taking in and how many calories you're expending. 
If you're consuming less than you're expending, you're going to lose weight. If you're consuming more than you're expending, you're going to gain weight. If you're consuming the same amount of energy that you're, that you're expending, then that is what we call maintenance. Yeah. But think about it this way. That's one, that's the science behind it, right? Now we talk about it from a behavior standpoint. It's the, it's the accuracy and the adherence to those things that make it impossible for people to actually make that happen, right? So if the accuracy is off and they're not measuring, weighing, and, and really being honest with themselves. Or they can't do it consistently. And the, yeah, yeah. Well, and, I think- and the consistency of it, because you can do it. Listen, we've had, we've talked about this on other podcasts. We have people that go, oh, I, I did it for a week and I lost a pound. Wonderful. And then all of a sudden the next week, I don't know, something comes up, life gets tough and it, it knocks them down. It takes them off of the accuracy. And then they get, they, woe is me. Oh my God, I failed, blah, blah, blah. And then they, it takes them another week to get back on. And then that seesaw goes up and down and they never quite build the momentum to keep that accuracy consistent or adhere to that, that accuracy for a period of time to actually see consistent fat loss. I'm going to count from now till the end of the episode. How many times you say accuracy? (laughs) The next thing that I want to talk about is overestimating how many calories you burn. And I cannot stress this enough. If you're tracking the calories that you're burning on a heart rate monitor or on the treadmill or your watch or whatever it is, you're going to be anywhere from what was it? 25. It's like 25 to 92 percent. That's what it was. It was like it was a 24, 24.9 or something like that. So we'll call it 25. 25 to 92% error in those readings when it comes to calories. Now, heart rate tracking, great. You can track your heart rate. That's a good measure. Uh, But you really have no idea how many calories you're burning. And I think that the best approach to estimating how many calories you're burning, although it's also not perfect, is, I mean, obviously you don't have access to hook yourself up to a machine and, you know, measure your breathing and your respiration (laughs) and what you're expelling and CO2 and and oxygen exchanges and things like that. Um, So the using just a basic formula and using that as your starting point, like a Mifflin equation or uh, a catch McCardle, Nicole, and I know you like to use that one. So Mm -hmm. using one of those formulas to plug in your height, your age, your weight, your gender, your level of activity And that will kind of spit out, all right, you're estimated based on all that information that you plug in, what your daily caloric expenditure is. And then you can try to create a deficit from that. And if that's not enough, then you create a potentially even bigger deficit up until a certain threshold. Obviously, you don't want to create too aggressive of a deficit either, which we'll talk about in a bit. Yeah. And just make sure you're working hard and you're like, you know, if you want to use it as a ballpark, like a lot of people use those heart rate monitors and we see it all over the place where people are like I've earned 700 calories doing whatever they did. That's not it's not terrible to track or use that as a metric. You just have to keep in mind 700 is probably more like 400 or 350 and 500 is probably more like 250. Like you, you just keep it in perspective. And even if you want to track it just so that you have some type of accountability, that's that's OK. But the biggest things are, are you pushing yourself hard enough? Are you creating progressive overload? Are you actually getting, you know, a little breathless and feeling like you're actually, you know, pushing yourself and working? 
Yeah, I think the other piece is too, and this is what I find since we're mentioning caloric expenditure, sometimes people just focus on expenditure. Sometimes people will go into the gym and they'll do hours and hours of endless cardio and hit training and they'll be like, okay, I'm burning all these calories. But if you don't focus on the energy in part of the equation, I can almost guarantee that you're going to compensate by eating more calories. You're eating back more calories. So if you're focused only solely on the expenditure part of the equation yeah. and you're not tracking your intake, you will. And there are studies that show this, that you will eat back those calories that you've burned because you're not aware of it. You're not paying attention to how much you're taking in. So it matters on both ends that yes, you do want to take care of the expenditure, but if you don't, if, if the only thing you're focusing on is the expenditure is then you're missing the mark because the nutrition and what's going in is the, honestly the most important part of that equation. Yeah. And even some of the trackers, like my fitness pal does it where if you put your exercise in, like if you attach your um, watch to my fitness pal, it'll give you calories back. Yeah. So and I don't agree be... with that. That's no, so... I agree. And, yeah. and one thing to note here is if for those of you listening to this that are on my fitness pal, uh, the number one recommendation, what I tell all of my clients and Nicole, you do this too, mm -hmm. is you, you need off. to turn off the tracker, the step tracker, the don't log your exercise into my fitness pal, because there's, they kind of made a mistake there where they created, they use the Mifflin equation, same equation that I use. Um, they use the Mifflin equation and they then that accounts for the activity because they ask you about your activity up front. And then they'll also add more calories for activity, but activity's already been accounted for in the equation. So it's double accounted for. So if you're on my fitness pal, just keep that in mind that if my fitness pal is giving you more calories, it's yeah. not supposed to, and you should turn off that setting. Yeah. And again, this, this goes back to, you know, if we even, we talk about just the trackers in general from a calories out tracker and calories in tracker with something like that. If you pay attention to all the little quirky things like the, my fitness pal, think about all of the things we just mentioned that could create or wreak havoc on your tracking. If you're not paying attention to your, the serving size or, if you're entering in foods and it's giving you calories back, if you're using a watch to track your energy expenditure and it's not 100% accurate, that think of all those things alone that we just listed that could, you know, kind of derail your progress if you're trying to create change and you're not paying attention. This is this is why some of this stuff can be a little tricky and you want to make sure that you're paying attention to kind of the big picture. Next one is relying on cardio and not doing resistance training. Oh, yeah, big one. So there's a few things that I can say about this. I, I think the most important piece that I'll say about this is that when you're doing resistance training, you will, you will lose, you will be more likely to lose some muscle tissue and you do want to maintain that. So focusing on resistance training gives you the stimulus, right? There are two things that are going to increase muscle protein synthesis. One is there's a required stimulus and two is you know, actually eating protein and getting in amino acids and leucine, you know, foods that are high in leucine are going to really have a, a big impact on muscle protein synthesis. And that's going to be mostly your animal sources of protein. I don't think, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again, that eating, uh, you know, branch chain amino acids or supplementing with leucine is necessary as long as you're eating adequate protein throughout the day. 
but the resistance training piece is going to be important for maintaining lean muscle, which is going to keep your basal metabolism elevated so that you're burning more calories throughout the day. Otherwise you're going to have a significant drop in your metabolic rate as you're dieting and losing muscle throughout the process. Wait, you said resistant, do resistance training over them doing too much cardio. What constitutes too much cardio? Okay. Well, so that's a, that's a good question. Cause that's the next thing we have on the list here is doing too much cardio. Uh, I think that there are two things that I look at when it comes to cardio and there are, I'll say this and I'll, I'm going to group these two together is doing too much hit training. And by too much hit training, I pretty much say more than two hit workouts a week Yeah, is going to be too much. If you're doing hit workouts are great for uh, increasing cardiovascular output, increasing blood flow, increasing nutrient delivery to your muscles. So it is important to, I wouldn't say do hit training, but get in those higher heart rates mm-hmm. uh, and do higher intensity cardio, but it's also very stressful on the system. So you don't yeah. want to do that every day because it's going to backfire on you after some time. And from a too much cardio, generally what I recommend is three to four low intensity sessions when you're doing, when you're in a fat loss mm-hmm. phase. And what I say is incrementally increase your cardio over a period of time. So start with 15 minutes, three days a week, mm-hmm. go up to 20 minutes, three days a week, then maybe do four, uh, four days a week at 20 minutes. And then what I, as kind of a rule of thumb, I would say your cardio shouldn't total more than half of your resistance training that you're performing in a week. So if, so if you're working out five days a week for an hour and you're doing resistance training, you don't want to exceed two and a half hours of cardio mm-hmm. per week, yeah. right? Of total cardio for the week. I don't think you need to. And I think, you know, you kind of play this balancing act between your cardio and your nutrition. Yeah. Right. Where you're like, okay, I've got my calorie deficit how low can I take, can I take that calorie deficit over a period of time? And then how high can I bring my cardio? And you're always kind of constantly playing around with those two, because you have two factors that you can uh, play around with your energy expenditure and your energy intake. You don't want to overstress the system. You don't want to do too much cardio. That's not going to be best beneficial to you. That's going to backfire. And you also don't want to go too low in calories. So you're kind of always constantly playing. And I've had times where, all right, this week we're going to execute on increasing your cardio and we're not going to touch your nutrition. And mm-hmm. then in a few weeks, we're going to look at your nutrition and then drop you down a little bit more. And then yeah. a few weeks after that, maybe we'll play with your cardio a little bit more. The other piece that I'd say is, and I, I didn't have this planned here, but doing too much too soon and not leaving something in your arsenal to yes, play around to play with, with down the road. So if you go in and you say, Hey, I'm going to do this program and I'm going to work out six days a week, And I'm going to do an hour of cardio on each of those days. And I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to put myself in a 1300 calorie. And this is what I find often is, you know, too aggressive of a deficit. Then what do you, where do you go from there? You don't have anywhere else to go. So when you plateau, you can't do anything. The most effective weight loss or fat loss strategy, if we're thinking long-term strategy is you're going to be in a small deficit, then you're going to make it slightly bigger and slightly bigger and slightly bigger over a long period of time. And you're going to be able to avoid plateaus because you're Mm -hmm. constantly making these changes. 
And then you might have some pl- some spaces in there where you're like, hey, let's add back some calories for a few weeks, re-stimulate your metabolism, give you a little bit of a diet break, yeah. and we'll and then we'll put you back in a deficit. Uh, and that's going to help you to maintain your strength and it's going to help you to not lose muscle mass. And it's going to help you with Nicole, like to your point was before is compliance is everything. It's going to help you with compliance because you're going to give yourself a little bit of a break from the whole process in general. Yeah, I agree completely. I think those are really good points. Now, from a from a hit standpoint, I do want to go back to this is when you're doing when you're doing high intensity interval training essentially what that looks like is let's say you're doing like a 20 to 30 second blast of super high heart rate, super fast. Like let's say you're on a, uh, like an assault bike or something mm-hmm. or a rower. So you're doing a sprint basically for 20 to 30 seconds. And then you're doing like a two to three minute rest. Okay, and then you'll, yeah. you'll repeat that like four or five times and that'll be your hit workout. Yeah. Um, one of the things with hit is that people generally get the misconception that they're really burning more calories. You are burning more calories in. So we look at it from post-exercise oxygen consumption, right? And you're burning more calories in a short amount of time and you'll burn more calories after the workout for a longer period of time, as opposed to just conventional lower intensity cardio. However, the amount of calories burned post-exercise is insignificant in regards to the total fat loss. And you'll be compromising recovery if you're doing too much high intensity interval training. So the interval training is just, to me, it's too, or, or hit or high intensity cardio, it's too intensive and too stressful on the system. And eventually it's going to be detrimental to maintaining lean body mass and decreasing body fat in the long run. Right. Yeah. Like you, you may get a, a decent result in, in the, the beginning, in the beginning, but it, in the long run, it's not going to be uh, conducive to sustainable fat loss. Yeah. I like to, it's like you were saying before, if you, if you use all, if you play all your cards at the beginning or you play them too fast, you're going to have nothing to utilize later on down the line when you do hit a plateau, or if you need to mix things up and try different strategies, you want to be able to, you know, play with things as you go along. High intensity interval training, I find for, I mean, let's talk about even just from a movement standpoint for people that have been exercising for quite a long time and have good movement patterns and can move fast and do high intensity. That's another piece too. If you're a beginner exerciser and you are not used to burpees and high knees and assault bikes and sprints, you don't need to do that in order to get weight loss or fat loss. You need to start off slow and steady and build your way up to that. So then you can use those later on down the line as, you know, tools to push your body and, 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 you know, drive more fat loss. So I think it also depends on from an intermediate beginner, intermediate advance, like, uh, exerciser. The other pieces I, I'm, I'm, I want to talk about this since we're talking about cardio. And this is an interesting fact that it's, people used to always ask me, what should I do first, my uh, resistance training or my cardio? And my answer was always because I was a lifter. I always prioritized doing lifting first. And I would say, save your energy for your workouts and then do your cardio afterwards. You don't really have to you know, focus on, uh, you don't really have to do much, right? You're just walking on a treadmill. Depends if on you're the doing, cardio that you're well, doing. Well, I'm just saying like lower intensity cardio, 
any cardio, like, like you're not walking. Yeah, whatever. But uh, there's actually a concept when you dig into the research called the interference effect. And the interference effect is when the you kind of they, they affect each other. Right. So if you're doing and, and this makes me kind of think about CrossFit, too. So if you're doing concurrent strength training and endurance training, training is diminished compared to separately training only strength or only endurance. So there was a study where the researchers actually, they recommended wait 24 hours. Like if you're doing your resistance training, wait 24 hours to do an endurance training workout or vice vice versa, because they're going to affect each other. And -hmm. you know what this makes me think of? And there's, there's something with the energy pathways where they kind of cross over and they interfere with each other. That's why it's called the interference effect um, mm-hmm. because the, the anaerobic and aerobic pathways interfere with each other. And the, what this makes me think of too, is it also makes me think of CrossFit and it mm-hmm. makes me think, well, how efficient is that? Because you're coupling a lot of these workouts, you're doing endurance training coupled with yeah. strength training. So are you really going to be able to be as strong as you should be or have as much endurance as you should have because you're going to have this crossover and this effect that's going to affect that. What I will say is it's not realistic, obviously. So what, what they found was kind of like strength training is, is compromised for at least six to eight hours after endurance training. And they found changes in one rep max, like one rep max diminished, which obviously if you just did a endurance workout and let's say you just ran, And then you go and you try and do a one rep max. It just makes sense that there's going to be diminished returns Mm -hmm. there, Mm -hmm. but they there's like a six to eight hours. So what the recommendation was, was wait 24 hours or do two separate workouts, one in the morning, one in the evening. That's where two a days would be, two a days would be helpful and beneficial. Or for me, it's like, Hey, like uh, to me, the primary goal is like the, the strength training is more important. You're going to maintain your strength. You're going to maintain your muscle mass. So I always say, do the, the resistance training and then do the cardio after I just call, thought that was a, a, a cool thing to bring in and tie mm-hmm. into this conversation. Um, because I think oftentimes people will do their cardio before their resistance training and then their resistance training will suffer because of that. Yeah, I definitely have clients do their resist. I'll have them do a warm up, then their resistance training. But I always have my clients do cardio after on separate days. Like that's actually how I prescribe it. I will tell them to save to make sure they do their lifts separate than their cardio or and or I'm a huge fan of two a days in the sense if it's low intensity, like well, let me- all my clients listening that know that they do their lifts in the morning and then they'll do their walking at night after dinner or things like that. Like I have a lot of clients that do things that way. And part of the reason why is also timing. Like I want them to take their time in their lifts and get the full lift in if they're rushing to get the lift done, because then they have to get cardio in all in one session. I think that they'll well, rush they're up their workout. Right. And so I'll separate it. And then I have a lot of clients just go, today's just a cardio day. And they're like, it's so easy. I just go in and I breeze through my cardio and it's so easy. And so it gives them a, a lighter day of a workout. The other thing like I'll that. say to, to the point that you brought up with the, the 10 minute warm up is actually shown to be beneficial for the workout. So well, that's, yeah, warm that's up. excluded. That doesn't count. We don't in, count that. We don't count that because that actually helps for the yeah, workout. You need that. Um, so, and then I think the last thing, which we mentioned already in terms of 
common fat loss mistakes is, and I see this often is the too long of an aggressive deficit for too long a period of time, which Mm -hmm. we kind of touched up on. But like I said, where are you going to go from there? You're not going to really have any place to go from there. And you're going to have some metabolic adaptation that's unwanted. And then you're going to end up having to reverse diet, which we'll talk about reverse diets in a moment. But what I will say moving into kind of the next topic is mini cuts. And this is where those mini cuts come in is you can get aggressive with your dieting for very short periods of time. Mm -hmm. And by short periods of time, I mean, four to six weeks, you can even probably do like, I have an upcoming, yeah, I have an upcoming, um, just because it's the, it's the way that it's working out. I have a client who's going away soon. Mm-hmm. So we've got a four week hypertrophy. We're doing, uh, we did two strength blocks. Then we did, mm-hmm. t- then we did a hypertrophy block or no, we, d- we didn't even, we haven't even done, we've done three strength blocks and now we're doing a hypertrophy. We're going to do a hypertrophy block for four weeks. And then from there, we're going to do a mini cut. We're going to get mm-hmm. aggressive with the fat loss. Yeah. And she's going to go away. And this is one of those instances where those mini cuts are like beneficial. Like you have something coming up. Yeah. Right then you might want to just get aggressive before you go away. And we're doing it for three weeks because we only have, we've got four weeks for hypertrophy. We've got three weeks and then she goes away. So we have a total of seven weeks. So in those three weeks, we're going to get aggressive. And what a mini cut looks like is it's a larger than normal calorie deficit. So normally when you do a calorie deficit, you're going to go like 20 to 25%. Uh, from your maintenance calories, you're going to go below that about 20 to 25% in a more aggressive manner for a short period of time. You can go to like 40% Mm -hmm. and you'll be uh, 40% lower calories than your maintenance. Keep in mind, that's not sustainable. I think oftentimes what happens when people get aggressive with this stuff is they'll go six months to a year. Yeah, exactly. Like you're saying, like they live there. And it's like, well, you can't live there. You're going to be lethargic. You're going to be tired. You're going to lose your hair. You're going to affect your hormones. You're going to affect, there's so many things that you're going to be affecting. And then you're not going to build muscle. You're going to lose muscle, all all the muscle that you've worked for, for all this time. Yeah. You know, so you have to be smart about it, but for short periods of time, I think mini cuts are going to be effective and they're just basically, Hey, we're going to produce a greater amount of fat loss in a shorter period of time. So if your goal is like, 0.5 to one pound or 1.5 pounds per week in a normal fat loss strategy, you can say, okay, well, we're going to, you know, try and aim to lose two to three pounds a week in this aggressive fat loss strategy. And then we're going to kind of gradually take you out of it. Yeah. I think what people, what what I hope listeners will take from this is a mini cut that aggressive only works if you are, haven't been in cutting phase for a long period of time. Like, you have to have been living in maintenance and enjoying a higher calorie food intake and really crushing your workouts and really, you know, driving a healthy body so that when you do a mini cut, one, it works. Two, it's not as, um, it's hard, of course, because it's that, that's a lot to drop, but it's not torture. And three, you're going to come out of it and actually like you said, drive back up so that you have a break. So it's it's like a little snippet of a challenge and it's not so hard when you only know you only have to do it for a short period of time. But you have to be ready to do a mini cut 
and a lot of clients that are living in deep cut <laughs> phase um, want to do a mini deep cut phase, want to do a cut more to the cut. And then it doesn't work and they don't understand why. And they think they're broken and everything. Well, I so. think psychologically, this is where people have a lot yeah. of issues. Uh, and what mm -hmm. I will say to your point, you said maintenance, you can also, let's say you're doing a surplus and you're in a build phase. Yes. This is where mini cuts will also be helpful Yes, because you're, when you're in a build phase, if you're, and this is what I tell people all the time is like, you're building lean muscle. Don't really worry about body fat. You may put on some body fat. That's fine. As long as you're getting stronger and it's not, you're not in too big of a surplus where you're putting on a substantial amount of body fat where you're yeah. putting on more fat than muscle. Right. Right. But at some point you might want to say, Hey, you know what? Let me do a mini cut for four to six weeks and then go back into my build phase. Yeah. And I think it just for um, adherence, I was gonna, I was gonna say, <laughs> I didn't say it. I said adherence for adherence purposes. <laughs> um, it makes, it gives you, it's creative and it's fun. And there's a lot of ease and grace to creating these different types of phases without it feeling like the same old thing every week. I'm, I'm drudging through a low calorie phase and I'm doing that forever or, or I'm in a, a build and a maintenance and I'm doing that forever. You have a little bit of ebb and flow in there, which keeps it a little bit more fun to do something to look forward to. Yeah. So let's talk about training and what you're going to be doing for training when you're in a mini cut. So you're okay. going into roughly about a 40% deficit training. What you want to look at is essentially what the minimum effective dose is because you're going to be low on energy. You're going to be tired. You're going to be fatigued. You're definitely going to lose some strength and you want to maintain as much as you can. So what is the minimal dose of exercise that you need to maintain your muscle mass mm -hmm. and as much strength as you can in this mini cut? And from the research that I've seen, it's about a third of your typical workout volume. Yeah. So you're not actually like, I can kind of simplify this for you by saying, if you're doing four sets on any given workout, you can cut down to three sets per, per exercise, mm -hmm. right? Or you can cut, you can cut out, you know, let's say if you're doing, if you have like a 16 set workout, just cut out a whole exercise. Yep. You don't need as much volume. Mm -hmm. You're just trying to maintain your muscle mass and your strength in that time and overdoing it might also backfire on you. Yeah. The other piece where you're going to look to increases, like we talk about is your expenditure too, and increase your neat by about 50%. So mm -hmm. if you're doing 10 K steps a day, yeah, you might want to get aggressive with that and do 15 K steps a day. Mm -hmm. Again, for that short period of time, you don't want to overdo it on cardio for long periods of time. Remember we said that's a fat loss mistake is doing too much cardio. You can do it and get aggressive for a short period of time, but you, you know, you want it, you really want to keep it to maximum six weeks. Yeah. Get in and get out. And for your lower intensity cardio sessions, if you're looking at it from a, uh, a, a standpoint, the neat piece is, is interesting because the neat piece where you're not exercise activity, thermogenesis naturally, when you go down in calories is going to change. So by you being yeah. more conscious about it, you're ensuring that you're continuing to expend. Uh, and then your, uh, your lower intensity cardio, if that, if you're doing, that's something that you're doing slightly increasing the length of time that you're doing your, um, low intensity cardio is, is going to be part of something that you're going to have in your arsenal for 
your mini cuts. And then the other two pieces that I'll talk about is we're going to talk about food choice because that's going to be important in your mini cut. You want to try to have the same volume of food so that you're not feeling as hungry and do like these food swaps where you're like, okay, well, if you're eating beef, maybe have a turkey burger that's like the same size, but lower in fat and find ways to lower calories and have like the same quantities volume wise so that you feel fuller. And then add Mm -hmm. in more greens, more vegetables, more fiber. Mm -hmm. The three Mm -hmm. things that I always say that keep you satiated, fiber, water, and protein. Mm -hmm. So you might even want to play with your protein a little bit and increase your protein and then dial down your fat intake, obviously to a certain threshold. You don't want to go too low on fat because that's going to affect you hormonally. I don't know how much is going to affect you in the short term. And then coming out of your mini cut, you want to recalculate what your maintenance is. And then you want to go to your new maintenance because you may lower your metabolic rate by about a hundred calories in that those, let's say you did four weeks Mm -hmm. in those four weeks, you've lost weight. When you weigh less, your metabolic rate is lower. So you're going to have to, you're going to want to re you're going to want to recalculate that. And you're going to want to adjust how many calories your new maintenance is go back up to that new maintenance. And then if you decide to go up to surplus from there, stay at maintenance for a little bit and then go back up to surplus. You have to pay attention to it so that you're adapting your calories and your workouts to the new you. <laughs> yeah. And these things are fun to play around with. You just st- strategically, you have to go into it with a plan and you also have to have mm-hmm. an exit strategy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think s- clients have a good it's it's fun and they, it's, it's exciting to see what they can do in terms of changing their body, being able to see those changes happen in that short period of time can be super motivating to keep going, to be like, okay, I'm going to go back up to maintenance. Let's see what we can do for my next mini cut. Yeah. It's fun to change things up. Yeah. It's always fun to, you know, instead of doing this, I mean, doing a continuous diet for a long period of time can get boring. It's like following the same program, same Mm -hmm. training program. Like you get bored of it. You want to switch things up. uh, And it's cool because you get to learn a lot about your body in the process. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think the last thing when we talk about, you know, going up to maintenance and and things of that sort is uh, reverse diets and where reverse diets typically come in for clients is, I mean, we do a lot of reverse dieting. Nicole, you do reverse dieting with your competitors yeah. where you have to reverse diet them out of a competition and they just want to eat everything in sight. You don't want to just go back up straight back up to maintenance. And we're talking, this is You've been dieting for a longer period of time, right? You're, you've been like yeah, three or four reverse, months of dieting. A reverse diet is definitely more for the person that's been living in that heavy deficit and living in that deprivation, really in that deprivation place, and their body needs a break from it. And so we reverse them up. Some people will go aggressive on a reverse diet and bring them right back up to maintenance, feed the body back up, and really push. I'm definitely a little bit more conservative in terms of easing them back in and being able to work on uh, creating a healthy relationship with food during a reverse diet. I get a lot of clients that come in that have been living, they're not even competitors. They've just been living in that space for so long or have had struggles with whether they can or can't eat things like all of these different mindset around food. And so I like reverse diets also for people that have, um, that need to rebuild their relationship with food. And we kind of hammer out different you know, tools, methods, strategies, mindset, behaviors that are going to help them to slowly make food okay to have 
and restructure and relearn exactly what it is that they're going to bring into their, you know, food plan, lifestyle, whatever. I think there are multiple different people that do reverse diets for different reasons, right? So Nicole, what you're talking about is the new client that comes in and is afraid of food and has been living in a calorie deficit that, you know, we're kind of like, oh, like we got to help you get out of this. That is the person that has just been, you know, well, I heard I should eat 1200 calories. So I've been doing that for the last two years. Mm -hmm. Those people actually typically what we'll find is that a lot of those people have a hard time. They plateau. They have a hard time losing weight. And for some of those people, they actually go into a reverse diet. You gradually increase their calories and they start to lose weight. Right. And they're like, oh, my God, I've never eaten this much food and I'm, I'm full and yeah. I'm satiated. For other people, they maintain their weight. For, for those people yep. that you're talking about, they maintain their weight. And then the goal of their reverse diet would be, hey, let's bring you up to maintenance, keep you at maintenance for a while. And for that, for those people, we're talking a long period of time. Like you can be reverse yeah. dieting for six months, nine months, a year and, and yep. staying in maintenance. And the goal is to not gain a significant amount of weight mm -hmm. in that process. And you can reverse diet yourself all the way from 1200 calories to 2,400 calories potentially, and not gain a single pound in that process, mm -hmm. and then give yourself a deficit to that new maintenance that you've brought yeah. yourself up to. The other piece is somebody who has just been dieting for three months on a continuous, not like in a mini plant, a uh, mini cut, but just like on a continuous diet, like as if a competitor would, or right. if somebody's like, Hey, you know what? I'm going to take three months to prep for the summer. I'm going on vacation. I want to look good, feel good. And then they, you know, they go on the vacation. I would say, allow yourself a little more flexibility on the vacation, but also when you get back, you need to kind of implement that reverse diet strategy where you have an exit plan from your diet. And essentially what you're doing is you're gradually increasing your calories about hundred to 200 calories by, I say biweekly, like every other week. Mm -hmm. Um, and you are just gradually increasing to maintenance and you're kind of mitigating those metabolic adaptations that occur where you're either at a lower weight or you've been dieting, you, you're having lower calories. So essentially what happens is one of the big things that happens with metabolism when you're in a calorie deficit is the thyroid hormone goes down. And when your thyroid hormone goes down, that's a big factor in your metabolic rate. So, and this, you know, oftentimes you find like people who will go to their doctor and these extreme deficits and their doctor is like, well, you have a thyroid deficiency. Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily need, it's not necessarily that like you have an issue with your thyroid where it's not pumping out enough T4 and T3. It's just more so that you're not eating enough calories. So your body's downregulated. If you start yeah. feeding yourself again, unless you have some underlying issue, like you've got Hashimoto thyroiditis or, you know, something else going on. A lot of times, if you're just in this big calorie deficit, you just have low thyroid hormone, which is that's meant to stimulate your metabolism. Yeah. So when you gradually increase your calories over a period of time, it allows your body to adapt rather than just going up to maintenance. You may put on some body fat there. It mm -hmm. gives your body time to gradually increase your metabolic rate. Yeah. I think when people think um, calorie deficit, 
it's really strictly around fat loss or weight loss. It's really not about what's happening internally to your body from the inside and all the functions of your body that need food to, and nourishment to be able to work correctly. And so what happens when you are there for a long period of time is that eventually over time, everything downregulates and the body doesn't function as efficiently and you can get stuck kind of, you can idolize there and adapt and, and nothing changes. And that's when we use things like a reverse diet to slowly bring things back up to speed, literally back up to speed. So everything functions back um, to quote unquote normal. I see what you did there. Back, back did up you to see speed. it? I saw it. Back yeah. it up to speed. I heard yeah. it. I heard it. Got did it. anybody else hear that? <laughs> All right. I think uh, that that about sums it up for today. <laughs> Uh, that is fat loss mistakes that we don't want you to make a little bit of overview on mini cuts and reverse diet strategies and why we would use them. And if you enjoyed this episode, click subscribe, give us five stars, write a review, share this with a friend, and you'll hear us next week. <laughs>